Thank you for joining us today. This is Expository Insights with Pastor Lyle Wall. Today we are focused on the reality of turmoil, facing it and calming it, as we look at the first part of John chapter 14. Here we find seven crucial steps in calming the turmoil within. A children's book titled The Hating Book opens with a little girl saying, I hate, hate, hated my friend. When I moved over in the school bus, she sat somewhere else. When her point broke in arithmetic and I passed her my pencil, she took Peter's instead. Ask her, my mother said. Ask your friend why. But I wouldn't. I couldn't. I'd rather die. What if she would say, Oh, please just go away. You're ugly and dumb. Being with you was never fun. Oh, I hated my friend. After some more churning turmoil inside, the little girl finally decided to do what her mother suggested. Talk with her friend and ask her why. You've been so rotten, she said. Why? She looked as though she'd cry. It's you, she said. Last week when I wore my new dress, Sue said, Jane said, you said, I looked like a freak. I did not. I said, you looked neat. She looked straight at me for a while, and then we both began to smile. My friend said, hey, Maybe tomorrow we can play. Oh, yes, I said. Okay. I didn't hate her anyway. I wish it were tomorrow. Little children, young people, adults, we all know about churning, depressing, terrifying turmoil within. Whether others think it is minor or major, the turmoil can tear us apart the thoughts that keep playing in an endless loop. Our feelings and stomachs are twisted and tied in knots. Jesus has told us, chapter 16, here in John's Gospel, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus himself faced troubling times of turmoil. Back in chapter 11, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled at seeing Mary crying over her brother Lazarus' death. In chapter 12, when Jesus faced his soon-coming crucifixion to atone for our sins, he said, Now my soul has become troubled. Again in chapter 13, when Jesus told the disciples that one of them would betray him, John tells us, Jesus became troubled in spirit. So, it is not sinful, nor does it mean we are spiritually deficient to have turmoil show up as an uninvited and unwelcome visitor. 
Today we come to another part of John's Gospel that is familiar to many of us. A scene that opens with the disciples in deep inner turmoil. Jesus shows them, and us, some steps to start calming the turmoil within. Before we get to that, we need to set the scene for this turmoil. Three weeks ago, we looked at extravagant worship from the first part of chapter 12, worshiping God with lavish, over-the-top love and devotion, humility, and giving. The middle of the chapter recounts Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. In the last part of chapter 12, Jesus talks to his disciples about his death, his leaving them, and tells them, my soul has become troubled. For the last three years, these twelve men had followed Jesus, believed in him, looked forward to him establishing his kingdom. Despite what Jesus had already told them about his death, their world came crashing down on them and a turmoil built up in them as they now listened to him tell them that he must be lifted up or be crucified. They may have agreed with the crowds who said, This doesn't make sense. The Messiah is to remain forever. Or they may have desperately thought, He can't die. What will we do without him? In chapter 13, Jesus continues to prepare his disciples for his death as they share the Passover meal together. One of you will betray me, he told them. Imagine the shock and stomach churning that set off. But there was more. When Jesus tells them they cannot come now where he is going, Peter says, Why not? I'm ready to die for you. Jesus said, Really? Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. How devastating those words must have been to Peter and to all the disciples, since Peter was the strong, bold one. These are the last words before we read Jesus saying, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This flow is a reminder that our Bible's chapter and verse divisions were not in the original documents. Chapter divisions first appeared in the 12th century, while creating verses started showing up in the 16th century. It also reminds us about the importance of context, of looking at a verse in its setting, not just by itself. The disciples were shocked, confused, worried, fearful. Jesus knew their troubled hearts, and so moves to give them some steps to start calming the turmoil within. Jesus knows your heart, your trouble. His truth here will help you take steps to start calming the turmoil within. The first step is to trust in God, to personally, directly trust God in that turmoil. Verse 1, Jesus said, Do not let your heart be troubled. 
Believe in God, believe also in me. Another version puts it this way. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Be clear on what Jesus is not saying. He is not saying, I know this is tough, but smile, be happy. Nor is he saying, you haven't really believed in me yet. Believe and all will be well. The disciples had placed their faith in Christ as the Messiah, as their Savior. Back in chapter 6, Peter told Jesus on behalf of the group, We have already believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Yes, the disciples had taken that step. But now turmoil had crashed into their hearts and was settling in and taking control. We too know this, have experienced it. Jesus names their problem. They are to recognize the turmoil and face it, not ignore or cave into it. Jesus did not tell them to take it on with their own positive thinking or doubled efforts. The first thing they were to do was to trust God in their turmoil, to trust God for dealing with their turmoil. Jesus told them that since he is God, they can trust him just as they trust God the Father. Drop down to verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for so long a time, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own, but the Father, as he remains in me, does his works. Jesus began by telling them that while they knew him, accepted him as their Messiah and Lord, they did not know him as they could and should in a more complete sense, in the fullest sense. So Philip speaks up. He, of course, knew that the one he was talking to was Jesus of Nazareth. He, along with the others, knew and believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Holy One of God. But Philip and the others did not know Jesus as fully as they could have and would after his resurrection. Philip, with his troubled heart, wanted to actually, physically see God the Father so they could be sure all would be right. As he and the rest realized that Jesus is God and all they needed to see, that they needed to trust Jesus and the Father, they then could move to experience God calming their troubled hearts. So what does that teach us when turmoil floods our hearts? First, Make sure that you have placed your trust in Jesus as your Savior, and so you know your sins are forgiven, 
you are accepted by God and have a relationship with Him. Jesus makes a clear statement on this. Verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We need this truth today as people say, all you need is love. All you need is sincere faith in whatever you believe to be right with God. Follow your own path. We need this truth as some people from within the organized church tell us we hope the Christian message is true, but we cannot really know if it is true or not. Again, Jesus tells us, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John wrote in another place, The one who has the Son has the life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. The disciples had already taken the step of trusting, relying on, believing in Jesus and Jesus alone, not their background, good works, or religion. Question. Have you done that? If not, why not? Why not now? Then it teaches those who know Jesus to recognize and face the turmoil. When turmoil shows up, we might try to put it off. We might feel guilty and defeated, thinking, after all, Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus is telling us to not let our hearts go on being troubled, to stay in a troubled state. So recognize it for what it is. Next, we should consciously decide to trust in God to calm the turmoil. Tell him you are trusting him in this. Ask him to give you his perfect peace that goes beyond your ability to understand. Ask him to show you what to do and then do it. So the first step is to trust in God to personally, directly trust God in that turmoil. Another step to calming the turmoil within is to trust God's promises to us. Go back to verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you because I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you also will be. And you know the way where I am going. Jesus had told them he is leaving them. That is why they are in turmoil. Here he explains part of why it is better for them that he is going rather than staying. He is going to prepare a place for them, and he will come back and get them to be with him. Jesus' death and resurrection prepares their place with him in heaven. Jesus' death and resurrection prepares your place 
my place with him in heaven. What could be better than this? What does that have to do with calming their present turmoil? First, Jesus assures them that he is not abandoning them. He does not abandon you in your times of turmoil. Then Jesus helps them take the long view, keep the end in view of being with him forever in order to gain perspective, hope, and courage. We sometimes go through long periods and difficult circumstances because of what's at the end, the goal. People choose to go through years of apprenticeship, technical school, university, to reach the goal of having a trade or profession. In the Old Testament, Jacob worked hard for seven long years to gain the right to marry Rachel. But then her deceitful father substituted his older daughter. So, even though cheated, Jacob worked hard for seven more long years to marry Rachel. Fourteen years. He did that with the end in view. The Apostle Paul had the goal, the end in view, when he wrote, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Keeping the end, the goal in view of God's promise that we will be with him forever in heaven, will enable us to look to God, to trust him and his promises, to see him calm the turmoil within. A third step that Jesus gives to calm the turmoil within is to pray. Drop down to verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Don't sit and fret. Don't rely on your own ideas and abilities. Pray. Pray regularly, consistently about it. But, some ask, what about all the times I prayed for something and God didn't do what I asked him to do? God does not give us all his truth about prayer or any subject in one place in the Bible. We have to combine the truth from different places in the Bible. As we do that with prayer, we see that, among other things, the Bible tells us that prayer is subject to the will of God. So His will, rather than our own, is to be our focus in prayer. The model prayer which Jesus gave us says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then John writes, This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. Then prayer must also be in line with the word of God. In the next chapter here in John's Gospel, Jesus tells us, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, 
and it will be done for you. God's will never contradicts God's word. So we are to follow God's directions through the Apostle Paul to let the word of Christ richly dwell within us. As well, prayer must be in the context of fellowship with God and in obedience to Him. In chapter 15 again, If you remain in me. James tells us that a prayer of a righteous person, one living rightly before God, when it is brought about, can accomplish much. Then, too, we must be living in right relationships with others. The Apostle Peter wrote, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. While he was specifically addressing a husband's relationship with his wife, the principle applies across all of our relationships. And one more for now is that prayer must flow from sincere faith. God tells us through James that when we pray for wisdom, we must ask in faith without doubting. This applies to all our requests, not just for wisdom. God provides prayer to work in ways that we don't fully understand to calm the turmoil within. The fourth step to calming turmoil we see in this section is obey God, to obey his commandments to us. Let's look at Jesus' statements. Look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's both direct and clear, isn't it? Now drop down to verse 21. The one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what has happened that you are going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will follow my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. The one who does not love me does not follow my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Again, that is both direct and clear. This is a basic theme in verses 15 through 25, as Jesus addresses dealing with calming the turmoil within. Obey God's directions, His commands. It is referred to four times in these verses. Verses 15, 21, 23, and 24. It often is difficult to obey God when you are desperate or frantically trying to escape, to shut down the inner chaos. We can be distracted by what is going on inside us. We want relief, and we want it now. We can think of God's way, His commands, as being burdensome, 
long-term and, frankly, not what we think we want or need right now. Jesus tells us one of the clearest tests of our love for God is our obedience to Him. It is as we check and reaffirm our love and devotion to God based on all that He is and has done for us that we will be able to step out, trust God, and obey Him. It is in that obedience that God's grace and strength, His peace and joy are released. Make no mistake, God's directions to us are not stealers of peace and joy, but releasers of peace and joy. In practical terms, start with checking your deep-down-to-the-core response to the truth Jesus gave us back in chapter 10. I came so that they, those who believe in him, would have life and have it abundantly. We need to face the possibility that, as one writer suggests, the root of all sin is the suspicion that God is not good. Then accept, affirm, and act on each one of the seven guidelines we are looking at this morning. Another writer illustrates the importance of obeying, of acting on God's truth with a brief story. Imagine, if you will, that you work for a company whose president found it necessary to travel out of the country and to spend an extended period of time abroad. So he says to you and the other trusted employees, Look, I'm going to leave, and while I'm gone, I want you to pay close attention to the business. You manage things while I'm away. I will write you regularly. When I do, I will instruct you in what you should do from now until I return from this trip. Everyone agrees. He leaves and stays gone for a couple of years. During that time, he writes often, communicating his desires and concerns. Finally, he returns. He walks up to the front door of the company and immediately discovers Everything is in a mess. Weeds flourishing in the flower beds. Windows broken across the front of the building. The gal at the front desk dozing. Loud music roaring from several offices. Two or three people engaged in horseplay in the back room. Instead of making a profit, the business has suffered a great loss. Without hesitation, he calls everyone together and, with a frown, asks, What happened? Didn't you get my letters? You say, Oh, yeah, sure. We got all your letters. We've even bound them in a book. And some of us have memorized them. In fact, we have letter study every Sunday. You know, those were really great letters. Yes, they read them. They knew them. But they didn't obey them. To calm the turmoil within, obey God's commandments. Now we move to another step. Rely on the work of the Holy Spirit. You are not alone. You are never 
alone. Jesus underscores this as he talks about obedience. He knows that when the storms rage within, obeying God goes contrary to our natural state, and also that Satan's forces team up with our old nature in a fierce battle against our following God. And so Jesus tells us, verse 14, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he remains with you and will be in you. Now drop down to verse 26. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. Jesus is not physically with us, here to stand before us and to teach, encourage, correct. But the Holy Spirit is given to and resides within every believer to do this and more. God tells us through the Apostle Paul, After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise who is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. And so our church statement of faith declares, at the moment of salvation, the believer is permanently regenerated, indwelt and baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ and sealed unto the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is given to us, remains with us as our helper. That is, he comes alongside to instruct, encourage, and correct us. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Look ahead to chapter 15, verse 26, to see this description, this title for the Holy Spirit again. When the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, namely, the Spirit of truth, who comes from the Father, he will testify about me. Again in chapter 16, verse 13, When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. Just as Jesus is the truth, so is the Holy Spirit. He takes the Word of God and always only gives us the truth of God in each and every situation. When you are absolutely frantic, tied up in knots, remember and rely on the Holy Spirit who is with you, and who will lead you to remember and understand God's truth that you need. He also will give you the power to do what is needed. And also remember that, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings 
too deep for words. The next step in calming the turmoil within is to receive Christ's peace. What does that mean? Listen to Jesus' words in verse 27, familiar words to many believers. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor fearful. Let that soak in. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor fearful. Look at the wonderful facts here. Jesus has left the earth, but he left his divine peace with his followers, with us, with you. Jesus has given his peace to us. It is not something we earn through great sacrifice or service. It is his gift to us. Jesus gives us peace that will really calm the turmoil within because it is greater and different than any and all the peace of this world, greater and different than that of the best human philosophy, politics, religion, or meditation. It is God's own perfect peace for you and me. I think of the people in the Middle East, where so many are living in turmoil around them and turmoil within. Almost 20 years ago, a friend of mine forwarded some emails to me from his daughter, who was trapped in her home in Beirut, Lebanon, hearing missiles overhead, the sounds and smoke from explosions all around. The closing lines to one of those emails was, Thank you for your prayers and continued support. It is good for me to know people out there know I am stuck in here and are thinking of us, to say the least. Enjoy the rest of your weekends. I hope Sunday brings you sunshine and happiness. She was surrounded by turmoil, which could easily overwhelm her within. But she looked for, asked God for, and accepted His peace. Remember God's word to us through Paul in his letter to the church at Philippi. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and pleading, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. There are so many, even countless, bad, terrible, 
evil things going on in our world. We are not to ignore them, but we are not to focus on, get trapped into turmoil and panic about real or imagined bad things rather than on God, His truth, His power and provisions, His peace. Accept, live in the peace that Jesus gives. The last part of our responsibility in calming the peace within that we see here is to rejoice in Christ's presence in heaven. You may be thinking, what? What does that have to do with my turmoil here and now? Isn't that just a form of escapism? Look at verse 28. You heard that I said to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Let's deal with the difficult phrase first. The Father is greater than I. The Bible teaches us that God is one God existing in three persons, the Trinity. It further makes it clear that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit share the same nature, and in their essential being are equal. Jesus has taught that, as here in chapter 14, verses 9 through 11, and earlier in chapter 10, verse 30. Go back to verse 9. Jesus said to him, Philip, Have I been with you for so long a time, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own, but the Father, as he remains in me, does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Here in verse 28, Jesus is speaking about his state when he was here on earth. While not changing or losing any of his essential nature, he humbled himself when he came to earth to follow God the Father's will in the power of God the Holy Spirit in all his work. It was part of his becoming truly man to be our Savior, yet being truly God. The Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, proclaims this truth as we sing of Christ, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity. With that said, Jesus' main point is that rather than the disciples mourning that he would not be there with them physically, or us mourning because he is not here with us physically, we should rejoice that he is now in heaven because there, in his full glory, he intercedes for and empowers us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 tells us, Therefore he, Jesus, is also able to save forever those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Long ago, a man searched for the perfect picture of peace. 
Not finding one that satisfied him, he announced a contest to produce this masterpiece. Many artists submitted paintings. When the day came to announce the winner, many beautiful, peaceful scenes were on display. The second place and winning paintings were covered. A judge pulled the cover from the second place painting, revealing a mere smooth lake that reflected lacy green birches under the evening sky. Along the grassy shore, a flock of sheep grazed undisturbed. The man with the vision for the perfect picture of peace uncovered the winning painting himself. The painting surprised the crowd. It was a turbulent waterfall crashing down a rocky cliff. The crowd could almost feel the water's cold spray. Stormy gray clouds threatened to explode with lightning, wind, and rain. In all of that, a spindly tree clung to the rocks at the edge of the falls. One of its branches reached out in front of the turbulent waters. A little bird had built a nest on that branch. Content and undisturbed in her stormy surroundings, she rested on her eggs. With her eyes closed and her wings ready to cover her little ones, she displayed peace that transcends the turmoil around her. We all have times when turmoil shows up and churns away. Jesus tells us, Don't let your heart continue to be troubled. Trust me with that situation to be your good shepherd to guide and calm you. Come to me, pray, obey me, rely on the Holy Spirit to lead, clarify, and provide for you. Receive, accept my peace. Rejoice that I am in heaven where I have prepared a place for you. Thank God that he can and will calm the turmoil you experience. Bring yourself and whatever is churning inside of you to God now as we spend time in prayer. Bow with me in prayer. God, our almighty, loving Father, thank you for sending Jesus to us to save us, restore us, to enable us to be with you forever. You know the times when things seem out of control, when we are worried, even tied up in knots, consumed with turmoil. Thank you that you provide the way through and out of those times, the way that keeps us from being stuck in them. We trust you. We look to you. Help us to obey you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 